The space-time parameters of the Matrix have been invaded by a creature from the antimatter world. We know its composition and how unstable is the magnetism that shields it. The creature must be expelled immediately if we are to avert disaster. Without knowing its purpose here. Its presence here must be our first concern. Antimatter cannot coexist in harmony in our universe. Lord President, this creature is here now because it bonded with me. To do so, it needed something very special. Full and precise details of my biological makeup. Now, I didn't pass this information on. Somebody did. The question is, who? We considered this, Doctor. But the implications are quite preposterous. Chancellor, can bonding occur without the full imprint of a so-called bioscan? Well, not to my knowledge. But the power of this creature is outside the limits of what we know, Doctor. Lord President, I ask for time to have this fully investigated. I'm sorry, Doctor, but we must deal with the situation as it exists now. The time factor involved leaves only one course of action open to us. Commander! You know that capital punishment has long been abolished here in Gallifrey. But there is a precedent for a situation like this. Have you nothing further to say, Doctor? I have a great deal to say. You can't do this. You must destroy the creature. Child, do you think we have not considered this? The creature is shielded. We have no way of tracing it. So you're prepared to kill the Doctor? Commander! Remove the doctor to the security compound. As soon as the warrant is issued, you will convey him to a place of termination. I'm sorry, Doctor. No, you can't. Executing me will not alter the fact that a traitor at work on Gallifrey. Hello and welcome to the Cloisterbell podcast. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to two friends witter on about the oldest ongoing televised science fiction series in the world, that is Doctor Who. Do make sure you follow us on your podcast app or join our emailing list at cloisterbellpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter, I'm still calling it Twitter, at podcastbell. And if you enjoy the podcast, spread the word, share us with your loved ones and friends, that would be great. So anyway, I'm Liam and friend that I was on about before is Rob. Hi Rob. Hi, I'm Rob. Hello. How are you doing? Um, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, good good shout out um for the podcast. Um hope everyone sat down with the family, mm-hmm. uh, grandparents, nieces and nephews, cousins, the neighbours. Come in, take a seat and relax. So Rob, uh what have you been up to since uh since our last podcast? Not a great deal. All work and um oh um what have I watched anything? Yes, it was Halloween. So went out trick or treating for a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh yeah, on the evening we watched the new Disney Haunted Mansion. Okay, which was um, you know, for a fairly average film, it was like entertaining enough. You know, I thought this is going to be bad, um, but it was all right. Mm-hmm. Um, my youngest daughter said, "I said, what do you give it out of ten? She said a nine. I was like, "Whoa!" Um, I said, I, "I give it a generous ten. Oh, no, a generous seven out of ten. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I thought it was going to be bad, and it was all right. Oh, okay. Well, at least it was uh, entertaining. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't good. watch it again, but it was fine. It had uh, <laughs> Danny DeVito, Owen Wilson, um, and uh, What's-Her-Face, who played Claire Temple in the Netflix Marvel shows, and she plays Ahsoka Tano now in Star Wars. No? I see. 
Sorry, Rob. <laughs> What's her face? Doesn't ring any bells. Not a name. I, not a name I'm familiar with. And I haven't watched any of the other shows you mentioned. So no. Sorry, I don't know what who what her face is. Yeah. Um. Oh, and uh, oh, welcome to the Hooniverse, Liam. Yes. Um. By the because t- we're actually uh, ahead of schedule, uh, listeners. <laughs> we're actually being professional about the podcast for once, and it's fantastic. So by the time you listen to this, it's like eh, old news. Let's move on. But um, when we're recording this, the Hooniverse has just landed on BBC iPlayer, and um, so we have um pretty much the vast majority of all of classic Doctor Who to watch, as well as all of um New Who. Yes. The new Who stuff's not... That's been available since Dot. That's old Who now. Yeah, yeah, it's old Who. But classic Who is now new Who uh, on iPlayer, so that's fantastic. And uh, there's been a couple of other nice surprises put up put up on there, but we'll get onto that in a second. Mm. And the, so, there's a new, like, ident as well to for the brand as well. Like, Marvel has one, Star Wars has one, and... Um, yeah, so there's this Hooniverse intro, and it's interesting that it features things from all the spin-offs. We've actually got a Gwen there from Torchwood, and mm-hmm. we've got the monster from the coach with the dragon tattoo from Class. That's on there. That okay. is canon now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty no, much that's it. good. Yeah. So um, I know that uh, you've watched one episode of Arc of Infinity uh, for the preparation of this podcast. But apart from that, uh, what what's the first classic Doctor Who story that you're going to watch on iPlayer? Hmm. Well, of course, there's some new content now on, on there that we'll get to, um, mm-hmm. which is probably something I'll, I'll do first. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, nothing in particular. This podcast pretty much takes up all of my time with regards to Doctor Who. So I'll not... I'll not I'll not think. Well, I'll sit and relax and put Doctor Who on because at the mm. minute that's just work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but I don't know. You know, I've never ever th- thought to myself, "I'm going to watch this all start to finish." That just sounds bonkers. But um, I mean, I don't know why not. I do it with other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. No, is there, is there something you would instantly want to go in and watch? Um, I know well, it's very convenient though because, like, I, I messaged you earlier on this evening because I was I was having a look on iPlayer. I thought, oh, this is great, and then I turned it off and I got my Arc of Infinity DVD out and I was putting it in. I thought, what are you doing? <laughs> it was a few <laughs> clicks away. Anyway, yeah, yeah. What 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 would you go to? I don't know. It's sort of because uh, just thinking about it, because it's like that thing you know when um, you've got a, a movie in your own DVD collection and then you, you've watched it a million times and then you put the TV on and it's a film that you own you've seen it a million times and yet you still sit down and watch it if you've caught it by accident like Aliens you've seen that countless times you know got that on Blu-ray but I'll still watch it because it's a good film it'll probably be something like the because like, my favourite Doctor Who story ever is The Seeds of Doom I've seen a couple of times. I got that on DVD, and I'll probably go on to iPlay and go right. Okay, let's see what I can watch. I'll start it. I'll just watch the Seeds of Doom. Um, so it'll either be that, or I don't know. It'll probably be some some, some really um. There's something about it where it's just like, I really want to just watch one of the most uh, unregarded Doctor Who stories that there is. 
you know, out of sense of some sort of perversion. I'll watch Time Flight. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other content on there? Um, noteworthy content? Uh, not that I'm aware of at the moment. Oh, that, the accessibility stuff's pretty good. Like the fact mm. that they've oh, yes. done um, sign, sign, la- language. sign language for all of them. That's, all of them. All, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For 800 plus episodes. Mm. It feels... Um, so, yeah, which is fantastic in general, but it does feel like a massive leap forward in a lot of ways of making television programs accessible. I mean, actually, the fact that uh, the Doctor Who DVDs towards the end of the range, mid to the end, and then it's carried into the, the collection box sets, the fact that they have audio descriptions um, with, I think, just the menu. But, you know, that I wasn't aware... I haven't been aware of any other releases doing anything like that. Um... And now that you've actually got the stories available on iPlayer, for non-British uh, listeners listening to this, uh, probably envious, because it, uh, this is just available in the UK on the iPlayer. But uh, yeah, it's 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 absolutely amazing that they've not only made the episodes uh, accessible in terms of view, but they've made them accessible to as, as many people as possible through sign language, subtitles and audio descriptions. And I have seen some uh, s- some comments on, on Twitter uh with uh people who are visually impaired and so on just absolutely loving this and being able to experience doctor who stories in a much more uh, i think the way that from the comments i've seen it in a much more uh, sort of a much more complete way than than they have before and they're loving it it's brilliant yeah i shared a clip um someone had put a video of the sign language guy saying oh no not the mind probe and someone was like he looks more scared than castellan <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that. Okay. But yeah, I know that that's really good. And um, uh, so, yeah, as, as time goes on, I, th- I'm, I am actually really looking forward to d- dipping into the, uh, into the iPlayer and, and, and just, you know, picking some random story to watch. And then, and, and yeah. obviously the, the Tales from the TARDIS. I think I am probably going to watch Earthshock first. Okay. Um, there's just something about um, Davison and Tegan, uh, Davison and uh, Jan Fielding being... Uh, reunited and playing those characters again which i'm very interested to see um and then and then definitely vengeance of varus because that's one of my all-time favorite stories and i know colin baker does not wear his uh original costume it's a, it's a new costume yeah um mm. uh so so that'd be good so yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to it all it's the the oh it's it's kind of getting exciting now the anniversary is like building up and you've got all this so uh, and uh, we we've got more surprises around the corner yeah but no doubt yeah, but anyway, without further ado, um, I think let's uh, crack on with the main, I think. Unless there's anything else you want to mention, Rob? Nah. <laughs> Great. So, um, well, actually, uh, just before we get onto that, it's just a quick reminder of our website, cloisterbellpodcast.com. You can access the podcast there if you wish, but obviously you can access it wherever you're listening to now, basically, which I'm sure you know. Um but there's other stuff on the website. Uh, we have our polling station, so that's where you can go and rate our stories. But you can also provide comments on there on our message boards. 
Uh, and there's also a forum, which we've just launched. It's still early days. Um, as usual, Rob's much more on the ball than I am. Um, but I have actually just got involved with a forum, uh, talking to to one of our listeners on there about uh, his favourite Tom Baker stories. So uh, get yourself there, check that out. Yeah, definitely. Um, if anyone does make a comment, I'll probably be on all day because even when I'm at work, I'll check in, see if there's any activity. Um, and and when I reply, it's it'll be a treat. We'll we'll, we'll we'll advertise it like that. So anyway, yeah, check that out. There's a, there's a there's a lot on there. So anyway, um, and you can still uh, get in contact with us on Twitter as well. But uh, today we are looking at a Peter Davison uh, era story, which is the Ark of Infinity. So uh, the, the story synopsis, uh, which has been purloined from the Radio Times website. Um, helped by a traitor on Gallifrey, old foe Omega attempts to cross over from the antimatter universe by divi- diverting the Ark of Infinity, the gateway to the dimensions. He hopes to regain physical form by bonding with the Doctor's biodata. To avert cataclysm, I'll say that again, to avert cataclysm, the Time Lords are forced to order the Doctor's execution. Meanwhile, in 1980s Amsterdam, two tourists one of them Tegan's cousin Colin, are in danger when they spend the night in a crypt. The curve of the Ark passes through the city, and this is where the Doctor must banish Omega once and for all. The cast and crew. The Doctor is played by Peter Davison, Nyssa, Sarah Sutton, Tegan, Janet Fielding, Lord President Barusa, Leonard Sachs, Council, Councillor Hedden, Michael Goff, Omega, Ian Collier, Commander Maxill, Colin Baker, the Castellan, Paul Jericho, Damon, Neil Daglish, Chancellor Thalia, Elsford Gray, Cardinal Zorak, Max Harvey, nice surname, Robin Stewart, Andrew Boxer, Colin Fraser, Alistair Cumming, Tallo, John D. Collins, and the Ergon, Malcolm Harvey. Uh, the writer of the story was Johnny Byrne. The incidental music was prov- provided by Roger Lim. The designer was Marjorie Pratt. The script editor was Eric Saywood. The producer was John Nathan Turner. And the director was ron jones so rob with these podcasts i always have some sort of variation of the of this sort of question which i always ask but uh i know that you've seen the story previously how familiar are were you with it when do you remember the first time that you watched it um yeah it was on the dvd when it came out so um i was aware of it vaguely before then but um but yeah i've seen it years ago Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a concept I was overly keen on seeing because I'm a big fan of the three doctors mm-hmm. and to casually revisit o- Omega, like just, just like, oh yeah, he, w- he wasn't dead. He's back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was a bit cautious to go into it. Mm. Um, what's your history of it? Okay, well, just just to pick, obviously answer that question, Rob. But just to pick you up on something, so you had you had seen the Three Doctors and was very familiar with it before you watched Ark of Infinity. Is that right? Yes, uh, right. and um, I, so I was, I was very familiar with the Three Doctors, mm-hmm. but I was aware that Ark of Infinity existed. I'd seen pictures of it. I'd read a lot about it, um, but it's something um, before I'd watched it seemed a bit distasteful to me right okay um it's interesting because bob baker and dave martin from what i can gather and they were the writers of the three doctors and they created the character of omega um 
they had something of a similar reaction. Uh, when I was watching the story, I had the production subtitles on. And it transpired that um, the production team had just assumed that the BBC owned the rights to the character of Omega, uh, which wasn't the case. The character was actually owned by Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Uh, they only found out about uh, that this story had been made when it was being broadcast. Oh, really? The, yeah, <laughs> they got in contact with the BBC, bit hacked off uh, that they hadn't been involved. And uh, I think it was Bob Baker, but one of the writers in particular was not only annoyed that they had just gone ahead and made this thing without their permission, but were particularly disgruntled by the way that Omega was depicted in the story. They weren't, they weren't fans of it. But anyway, they were placated. Uh, they received an apology and were actually finally paid for, uh, for the use of uh, Omega. So that was interesting. Um, you and yeah, I... Yeah, my gut feeling was like genuine, yeah. It's not, re- it's not real Bob Baker canon. No. no, and um, but you and I both have uh, the DVD of this story signed by Sarah Sutton. Oh yeah, 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 uh, which is nice. I've got it here. To Liam, best wishes, Sarah Sutton. Nice. Um, but anyway, to, to go, go to your question, so for me it was the reverse. Um, I first watched the story when I was ten, and I remember that because it was actually a birthday present, and I watched episode one. Um, on the day of my birthday, and I think, and then I watched the rest of the story the day after. So I was actually more familiar. I, I think it was a good couple of years before I finally got round to seeing the Three Doctors. I bought it secondhand at the Tynemouth Market on VHS. Um, so the first story of Omega that I ever watched was the second one he was in, which was Ark of Infinity. But yeah, uh, I remember the story very fondly because it was bought for me as a um, uh, as a tenth birthday present. Um, it's not a story which has a particularly great reputation, but it's a season opener, and it's the first story of season 20, which was a big anniversary year, um, and arguably the biggest for a long, long time, because the 10th anniversary, um, was celebrated a little bit, there was a Radio Time special, and you had the story of the Three Doctors, but, and that was obviously a big deal, but that was pretty much it. And what, then, what was that the tenth or the fifth, fifteenth, more or less? Was that the tenth? Well, with the three doctors, was that was that the tenth? That was the tenth anniversary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the biggest anniversary during the the show actually running was season twenty this year. It was it was massive. It, when it, every story of the season would have a, a character or a villain from the past. Um. I'm not actually sure that was by design. I think it was just sort of like accidental, but it was used in the promotion of the season anyway. And then it was building up to the five doctors. But this is the the story that opens opens it up. And um, I actually think this has a nice start of the story. There's intrigue. We immediately know that the Time Lords are involved. We're on Gallifrey. Um, and of course, being Gallifrey and the Time Lords, it's... You know it's not really going to go well for the Doctor because there's an uneasy relationship. It's always been the case since they were introduced in the War Games, popping up in the ways that they did during the uh, the Pertwee era. But definitely with Tom Baker's story, the Deadly Assassin, you know the, the Time Lords aren't good news necessarily. No. Um, so we're returning. We've actually made a return to Gallifrey. Just out of curiosity, Rob, I mean, what do you think when the series 
sort of brings the Time Lords in, and I don't I don't necessarily just mean in terms of classic Doctor Who. I just it can be Doctor Who in general, including the new series. What do you think when the the show brings Gallifrey back into the program? Hmm. It it feels like a remarkable thing to happen, but on the scope of it, I I can't remember remember how regular it was, um, between the seasons. But it hmm. seemed like it was happening a lot with, um, in this era. Um, obviously, like the aesthetic is a lot better than the Three Doctors was. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the headdresses and things, but you know, I do quite like it. It's it's not um, it they're not as nice and straightforward as you think. There's always plots and yeah. schemes going on, um, which kind of reveals um this not so great side to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do I do like these kind of stories. Yeah, I do as well. And because when the Time Lords were first introduced, they were sort of like benign, powerful figures. And then when Robert Holmes was the script editor, he said, oh, I can't stand that. It's just uh, naff. He didn't really like the idea. And he thought it was much more interesting if they were sort of um, Renaissance type political machinations, Machiavellian in nature, that type of thing, in which he really introduced uh, massively with the Deadly Assassin. And apparently at the time... um, not a lot of fans were apparently keen on this as, as as my understanding but i actually think one i think it's very interesting and i like that sort of direction but i also think it's important for the doctor because it actually shows that the reason why he left gallifrey in the first place was because he was against this sort of thing you actually have a little bit of understanding of what the doctor was uh, was was rebelling against <clears throat> yeah um. Um. So yeah, I agree with you, Rob. I I, I do really like it with, with this sort of uh, with this uh, use of the Time Lords and they're being manipulative and so on. Yes, and they now, can they can easily bring back characters like just um, the next time we see them, they're regenerated. Um. Yeah, but you sort of, you can do both. So Lord, Lord President, well, the, the character of Barusa, he'd been played by several actors at the at this point. Um. But now he he's president, and you can just put it. Oh, it's it's obviously he's regenerated. It's great when you get someone like uh, the character of the Castellan played by Paul Jericho. This is his first time in the series, and it's when he returns uh, at the end of it with the five Doctors. Um, it, it it provides a nice little bit of oh, it's it's that character again. So yeah, you can do it both ways, and it's it just works. It is really good. Um. The story was written by Johnny Byrne, and he had uh, previously written The Keeper of Traken, uh, which was actually a story that introduced uh, Nyssa. Uh, just, just a quick aside before I get back onto that. His early idea was that the enemy would be an avatar who gains corporeal form using regenerating energy, which then creates an evil version of the Doctor. Which is not a bad idea, actually, and I think that's something that knew who could um utilize an idea around there's just something about that i think i could have i could very easily have seen that i you know that that in the sort of the david tennant era or even the matt smith era actually yeah but i feel like the fact that he did become a version of the doctor was Mm -hmm. 
more just incidental than um than making a point of having like an evil version of him. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that was the, that was the main idea, but then I think the the story had largely been written or maybe even even been completed. And then Jonathan Turner uh, said, oh, actually, I would much rather have the villain as Omega. So then it was rewritten and then the, the villain rather than this avatar became Omega. Just so curiously, Rob, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it would have been more interesting having that original idea? Or I mean, I think you may 100%, have... yeah. Like, I think storytelling is good when it doesn't provide all the answers, when mm. it leaves you asking questions, even after you've watched it. Um. But this has you asking all the wrong questions, like, this makes no sense. <laughs> Omega died. Why does yeah, he look yeah. like this? Um, and so on. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, if this had been, in, if this was intended to be something different, maybe that would have worked, and it's been retooled into something bad. Yeah. Well, it was not bad. <laughs> what am I saying? Not Not, not as good time. as it could have been. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's like uh yeah. It's it's I feel like it's a lesser version of um the three doctors. But right, yeah. uh, the only only the Omega element, I think the rest um stands up on its own, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, okay, no, that is interesting. Um I think we'll come back to some of those points later on. Make some good points there. But uh just at the moment, so Tegan is out of the picture at this point. So the, the the previous story, which closed, which was the the final story of season nineteen, was Time Flight. Yes, and that ended with Tegan just just being dumped at Heathrow Airport, and uh, the Doctor and Nissa dematerializing, and then the Doctor going, "Where's Tegan?" And <laughs> you know where she is. You just done a runner, mate. Mm-hmm. So Tegan's out the picture at this point. So uh, we just have the Doctor and Nissa uh, to begin with. Um. I really, really like their dynamic between the two, uh, not only between the two characters, but the two actors, uh, Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton. Uh, I don't know what you think about this, Rob, but to be perfectly honest, nothing towards Janet Fielding and Tegan, because I both, because uh, I love that character. But I, <clears throat> but I would have loved to have seen just, just more of just the Doctor and Nyssa. Um, yes, we get some, a fair few scenes with the two of them together. But mm. when the two of them are thrown into the action, she really has a voice and mm. um yeah, she's really engaging with the story. I mean any any car any companion could be placed in this scenario. Um but she's given the t- chance to shine. And um yeah, it it does work. Right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I I, I just and I, I just oh I wish we had I wish we had more of this. I mean in fact funnily enough uh, during the previous season because they went oh we've got too many characters we need to get rid of one of the companions Jonathan Turner originally wanted to get rid of Nyssa and it was Peter Davison who who convinced him to change his mind going well actually uh, Nyssa's the one character who actually compliments my doctor the most I would really like her to stay so having had that conversation they, as we know with Urshock the companion they get rid, they get rid of is, is Adric Um and as much as I like the character of Adric, I do think that was the right decision. And when we have these just these moments between the Doctor and Nissa, it's just really, really nice. And not forget, not only does it, it's just nice to see, but keeping in mind as well 
that the story was written by Johnny Byrne, the very man who created her character in the first place. Because mm-hmm. we reviewed The Keeper of Traka not all that long ago. And um, as we said then, and when we were also reviewing the story Logopolis, um, Nyssa wasn't written to be a regular character. She was just going to be this one-off character in, in Traken, but uh, they really liked the character and they really liked Sarah Sutton's performance. It's just like, right, she's a regular. Johnny Byrne had actually been a little bit uh, disappointed with the way that the character had been written subsequently and thought could be uh, enriched a lot more. So uh, he actually, one of the things that he did whilst writing the story was make a deliberate decision of giving her that greater agency, which is, you know, which, as you said, Rob, that we see in the story. But yeah, it's just, it's great. I'm pleased that we have it, but it would have just been nice to have had more of it, even if it was just like for one more story. But mm, Yeah. But she kind of goes off um, and has like a side story. She's with that guy, the old acquaintance of the Doctor. Uh, oh, uh, oh, yes. Um, uh, Damon. Yeah, and um, she's keen to like fight for the doctor, and she's getting mm. the guns. Um, oh, she's even given a good scream in this story. I think it's in part four when they're yes. in Amsterdam. Yeah, <laughs> and the big skeleton bird gargoyle dude comes through the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, that that's great as well because it's it's not a it's not a gratuitous scream. It's one out of genuine shock, and just seeing this. Bizarre, the, the, this, hor- this horrifying yeah. thing but I dare say we will talk about the Ergon in a bit more detail later but um, yeah it's uh, it, it, and Sarah Sutton plays it really well it's one of yeah it, it, as you say it's, it's really good um, one thing I want to mention is the direction it's it's Ron Jones who who directs this story and he had pre- I think he had previously directed Black Orchid and I think that, that was his first Doctor Who he would subsequently direct uh, other Doctor Who stories as well I think the last one he did was the mind warp section of um the trial of a time lord he's not that heavy, he's not that much regarded as a, as a as a director for for Doctor Who. I don't think he's massively disparaged, but not no one talks about him in like massively going going terms. But what do you think of the direction, Rob? Well, I couldn't really fault it. It seemed pretty good. We have some great location mm. stuff, um, yeah. with some new characters, and you know, relocations really helps you kind of immerse yourself. Um, you're not you're not suspending your disbelief anymore. Um, you're really immersed in it, and I guess the direction shows there as well. Um, but yeah, also on the on the set as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a it's a good piece of piece of drama. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think Ron Jones does a very good job directing this story. It's it's very fluid. There's some really good shots, good use of shadow as well, and the lighting throughout the story is really really good as well. Um, uh, the people responsible for doing the lighting for the story, I think, just really. Uh, just did a really good job the mm. way that you know um we get some color from... var- color variations behind the roundels as well yes yeah yeah we do there's just these nice little these nice little touches but the way that the, the crypt is lit it's you know it's it's dark there's lots of shadow that mm. moment i mean we don't know who it is at, at this point in the story but it's later revealed to be councillor Hedden. the way where, the way when damon leaves the room and leaves his colleague and the doors are shut. 
just the way just the it's a, it's a very simple idea and br- br- brilliantly shot and i just think it's great you know when you've got the the outline of, uh, of the time lord shadow with that massive collar yeah up against the door um it, that's a great shot there's yeah. just there's a oh, real nice sense come of come on though but like were you watching it thinking yep yeah, that's alfred's voice Um, was it not blatantly uh, yeah. obvious? I want to get back onto that, Rob. Leaping a little bit ahead, it's definitely a point that we w- want to make. But actually, g- going back to um, an earlier point that you made, which was that um, there are certain things with the way that the story's done, where it just makes you ask the wrong questions, and the way that th- certain things are set up. Um, the. the, the and the sort of like a bit of a like a lazy approach. I do agree with that, and I think it's worse, particularly in this very first episode, because I think there are. I've put this down as dodgy dialogue. I'm not quite sure if I've. Dis- I don't. I don't think it's maybe that they're quite the right description, but it's it's a bit too on the button. So in that very first opening scene, we, if you're a long-term viewer of of the program, you know you're on Gallifrey because there's this this man room with a massive Time Lord collar. But and he's talk, but he's talking to this hitherto unknown character. It seems, and if you were not familiar with the program uh, and you were watching this, I think you would be drawn in to the mystery that's being established. You know that this is you know something shady's happening. It's nicely shot, um, and they're having some type of clandestine conversation. But the fact that they have this character at this point is called the Renegade in the credits, but later it's it's revealed to be Omega. The fact it just they're like clever, a perfect choice, Time Lord, and just we don't need to be told it's a Time Lord. I just think that's very lazy. It's not allowing the audience that confusion of going. I wonder where we are. What's happening? Getting but, involved and asking the question. Do you know what I mean? Or, is is this you, not to kind of get our suspicions on who it is, though? Otherwise, we might think, oh, it's just the master again. So, well, he would be a time lord as well, what am I saying? Mm. It's, it's a good point, Rob, but I, I, would, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree, though, although you make a good point. Um, because it's, um, we know that the, the, way that it, the way that it is shot is telling us that there's this mystery. Right, yeah. I mean, because we, we're seeing what? the back of this character. We're not seeing his face. Mm. Maybe we should have just saw the mystery unfold gradually. Yeah. Mm. I, I think that would have been much stronger. Mm. But it's not even. It, but it's not just during that opening shot. It's um, later on when we have... Um, Oh, what the uh, Colin and oh, what's his mate called? Is it Robin? Yeah, uh, Colin and Robin. Um, which one's which? Oh, um, is Rob is Colin the one that gets possessed? Yes, Colin is. <laughs> Who's kind uh, of walking around like I don't know, like me in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, walking around. You just needs a cup of coffee and you'll be fine. Colin is Tegan's character uh, uh, cousin. Uh, uh, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is did I miss something, or is this some phenomenal coincidence? It's a phenomenal coincidence, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll we'll get onto that when we get onto episode two. But uh, in the moment, but so when we introduce these new characters, 
Um, the fact that we have an establishing establishing shot of the city of Amsterdam, and to drum home uh, the point even further, we have t- the music "Tulips from Amsterdam" played over it. So I think it's safe to say we are in Amsterdam. But the fact that we even have one of the characters say, uh, "Steady, the Dutch are a very civilized race." Uh, <laughs> dare say they are, and I dare say that if if any D- Dutch audience are watching this, they'll probably go, "Damn right we are," uh, and probably love that. But I just think it's just like we know where we are. It just although it does have one line of dialogue in that scene, which I think uh, most people would be able to uh, agree with. Oh no, a policeman! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So. So I think there are some <clears throat> interesting dialogue choices. But um, just going back to that point, Rob, because the, the, uh, we're clearly an aspect of the stories in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. What, do you th- what do, you th- do you think that lends anything to the story? I mean, I know that uh, Johnny Byrne has, has written into it that um, uh, because of it, Amsterdam is... Uh, um, underneath uh, water level and to do with pressure, that's where the Ark Infinity is able to to be. So it is sort of explained. But um, mm. do, do you think it lends anything to the story? No, and and just like how the story makes us ask the wrong questions, <laughs> I think using this um, this plot point in Amsterdam with the power is making something connect to something that won't fit like it feels a bit forced like it's a great location do it but um no i don't think it necessarily is needed Mm, okay Um, i I think you're probably i think you're probably right but the fact that i don't know the the fact that it is it's not a complaint it's just an observation like Mm -hmm. somebody pointed out but no i think it's perfectly fine it's great Mm mm-hmm and I do think it lends something, because I know that a lot of people, in fact, Peter Davison has said, said this himself, they said, the thing is, if you've got this television series, which is largely set in the sort of like the home counties of London, and you're just sort of used to that. But as soon as you move outside that, you then start questioning certain things, and especially the coincidence in the story just seems to stretch things a bit too far. I think maybe he has a point, but at the same time, uh, it does give the show a greater scope you know the threat can come anywhere on the planet, and the fact that it's just a different location, I think, adds something. And the fact that it's Amsterdam in the early eighties, it's you know, it's it's an interesting time shot, and I just think it, I really like it. But I mean, I completely get your point, Robert. I agree, but at the same time, it's I kind of just go, I don't care. I like oh, yeah. it. Yeah, um, it wasn't a criticism. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that we've definitely got to mention is Colin Baker. Yes. Uh, now, interestingly, he was because he plays this character Maxil. He was also considered to play the character of the Castellan. Um, and if he was to play the Castellan, obviously Maxil would have to be played by another actor. One actor approached to play Maxil was none other than Piers Brosnan. No, but he turned it down. No, ah, silly man. Could have had a fantastic career playing Maxil in <laughs> Ark of Infinity. Whatever became whatever became a Piers Brosnan. Mm. <sighs> but, but anyway, so Colin Baker uh, makes his, as it would turn out, uh, an interesting debut in, in, into the show. Um, 
and obviously that he goes on to play not only does he go on to play the doctor but he also goes on to play peter davison's successor you know um Mm. He, he would be in he would be playing the doctor a year after this show's uh been broadcast um which well look I, I think but... he plays i think he plays these two characters very differently yes definitely. and maxwell is maxwell and he he does a great job mm-hmm. um it's like we all love to hate maxwell <laughs> um yeah yeah and yeah there's there's nothing to excuse i think um they cast someone great and um and then they brought him back in a different capacity i think that's yeah fair. yeah 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 and because uh, colin baker i think is a very good actor i don't think anyone really sort of like praises him as, as much as he should he's a bloody good actor and yeah when you're watching uh you know when he's playing the doctor it's just like this, this you're not thinking this is maxil mark two they are completely different performances and they're fantastic and Maxill is this, um, you know, um, just this very overzealous guard and uh, takes his role very seriously. And I love Colin Baker in this in this role. It's fantastic. Uh, and the fact that he later becomes the Doctor is just, you know, not only great for him, it's great for us as viewers because I love him in the part. Yeah, he's tremendous as, uh, as, as Maxill. Yeah. It. It's definitely a highlight of the story. He's a, he's a great character, like... He's not. He's not one-dimensional, like a, a villain or, or, just a time lord. He's like. He's got this sense of duty, but he's also mm. got a bit of an ego. But yeah, he's. Like he comes across with authority, but he doesn't. He knows his place. He doesn't stand off to Castellan when he's um, given orders. Um, yeah, I think he's a really interesting character. Yeah, yeah, he is, and it, and for me, is a highlight of the of this yeah. story. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things. It's just like yeah, it, to the point where it's like it's one of the strengths. Colin Baker, Maxwell, just superb. Mm. I like how in uh, in trailer the Time Lord, um, it's probably on one of the commentaries or the features, but Colin Baker says he like he believes Maxwell's just outside the door. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think he says that. Yeah. So it was just lurking, but always just out of shot. Um, so episode two is, uh, we have a couple of things. One, it's because I've been to Amsterdam Airport. I can't for the life of me actually pronounce it. It's it's like spelt like Schripnel Airport, but I have no idea how you pronounce it. Um, but Amsterdam Airport, I've been there countless times uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm not a massive fan of airports, but this it's a nice airport. But uh, seeing how it was in the early year, the early eighties, and uh, but KLM, we have a shot of the KLM L, uh, airplane la- uh, landing, and KLM is one of the best airlines ever. Never oh, had nice. any problems with KLM. Um, sadly, we're not sponsored by them, mm. but uh, anyway, yes, shout out to KLM, great airline. Um, yes, so uh, lo and behold, Rob, who returns? big news oh yeah someone familiar yeah what are the odds yeah <laughs> what are the chances so tegan's back i mean fair enough if you've got if you're working in london where the doctor's always at you've got mm-hmm. a cousin in london bumps into an alien eh, mild coincidence 
Now her cousin is in Amsterdam and he meets an alien who is dead and is from a different universe. <laughs> yeah. What's your problem, yeah. bro? It happens. It happens. It happens every day of the week. Yeah, I think this is a problem. It's, um, personally, I don't mind it. It's just like, I'm just going with it. Um, and and I think maybe a big part of it is I've got massive nostalgia for the, for this story, going back to when I watched it when I was 10. And I just, you know, went along with it. It wasn't until later on when you're sort of like your, your, your mental faculties are a bit more sharp mm. and you just go, hang on a minute. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I just wanted it, but... to bring it up because I was wondering if I had missed something. No, no, you haven't. It is a massive coincidence, right. Rob. It's just, just... Des- destinies bringing them all together. Yeah. You see, that's the thing. If this were new Doctor Who and this story had been written, just gone. Oh, there's a bit of a coincidence. <laughs> I think what we'll do is we'll have some story arc about destiny and <laughs> yeah, just write write it in a couple of scenes during some of the stories, and that'll <laughs> <laughs> that'll cover that. Destiny's Destiny. heading for Tegan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it. Destiny's heading for Tegan. Uh, She's 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 just meant to be. But no, it is a massive coincidence. But so either you you're able to to get over it or just going. This is just ridiculous. But although, um, could this be part of a bigger plot? Because Michael Goff's in this story. He was the he was the time maker. Yes, he was. So is Councilor he the Hedden... toy maker in this? <laughs> what was it even ever Omega? He died. It was the celestial toy maker all over again? <laughs> you know what? There's part of me that really I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. But wouldn't it be wouldn't you just love it if Russell D. Davis had wrote in just some really convoluted dialogue in one of the anniversary specials of just yeah, tying I mean, in the Celestial Toymaker to Ark Infinity, making the coincidence fit and then tying it into the 60th. Maybe. I mean, he's he's making the comic happen again of the Star Beast. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just made Omega happen again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, because you mentioned him, um, I mean, I think this is, I think this is really good. I mean, I think the, the, the story's cast incredibly well, but the fact that you've got an actor of... Uh, Michael Goff's caliber coming in, I think is is that is really... a bit of a tell? Is the big guest character always going to be to always going to turn out to be the villain? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, because going back to the point, because there's this mysterious uh, time lord, Rob. We don't know who it could possibly be. Um, I mean, were you ever fooled? Do you ever think that that first scene and then later on when we see Michael Goff as Council Head and his normal just going, well, it's clearly that guy. <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't know if I picked it up on first watch w- way back then on the first few episodes. Uh, but eventually I, I, rem- I recall thinking, oh, that's his voice. Mm. And this time round, it just seemed blatantly obvious. <laughs> yeah. But I don't I think... know if that's just because I'm too familiar with Batman. <laughs> Well, that's the thing as well, because like one of my, like when I was three, I saw the um, the nineteen eighty nine Batman film, and I was just absolutely uh, obsessed with it and loved it a bit. So I was introduced to Michael Goff and knew him as Alfred in the uh, the first Batman films. Um, you know, and uh, Alfred's a, a good, you know, is a, is a good guy. Uh, having Michael Goff turn out to be the villain, I can't, re- I can't remember. But I suspect I was probably surprised when I first watched it. 
Mm. But there, but I think you're right. There's there, there becomes a there comes a point, probably in the third episode, before it's revealed it's him. I hasten to add. Uh, I think there is a point where definitely by the time you're in the third episode, going, hang on a minute, it's Hedden, isn't it? Because <laughs> um, I don't th- when it when you do see him turn around and it's it's him and he's you know and he picks up a gun. I have absolutely no memory or recollection going, oh my God, I'm shocked. Um, I just think, yeah. And, mm, sorry, I don't want to jump. Uh, we're on episode two now. I'm trying to not to jump ahead. Well, we'll hold that thought because uh, uh, there's just something I quickly want to mention. I know that you mentioned it before, Rob, but I think that it, th- th- this happens in episode two and I think this is a, a highlight of the episode, but also I think a highlight of the story. It's that scene with the doctor and the time lords and you know it's the uneasy relationship and it's um them coming to the decision to to kill the doctor the way that the doctor reacts to this and the fact that the time time lords are too easily decide to kill the doctor it's the easy way out rather than investigate and solve the actual problem he's then led away and nissa then stands up to the time lords pleading with them and then actually calling them out on their you know their, their nonsense I love all that. I think I think it's it's I think it's well written. I think it's well performed. I think it's well directed. I just I think it's uh, definitely a highlight of the story. Yeah, poor Peter Davison though. They put that massive tube on his head and just <laughs> covered him in smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Baker could have <laughs> Colin Baker could have been this, uh, the Doctor a little bit sooner. Yeah, the um, yeah Peter Davison mentions that that was a very uncomfortable yeah. scene. The the special effects uh, team got a bit overzealous. It wasn't supposed yeah. to have that much dry ice. They just tra- they managed to cut out all the coffin in the cut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then they re- resuscitate him afterwards. <laughs> yeah, God, uh, get the oxygen I mean, it look, mask. It look. I mean, I got to say, it do- it looks great. But yeah, it must have been awful to yeah, nearly suffocating your leading <laughs> actor. Jeez. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, Rob, because we're about to go to episode three. What was the what was the point that you were going to make before? When we oh well, Michael when we would talk about um, Michael Goff's character, mm. um, Hedden. Yes, Hedden. Um, it's interesting when Hedden has Barusa at gunpoint. And then the doctor, but then everyone comes in behind the door and and they're like, oh, good work, Head, and you've got them. Like, they're still under the um, the thought that Barusa is behind it and so is the doctor. Mm-hmm. But after Head's incapacitated, the president and the doctor are like, no, no, it's him. It's not us. And he's like, ah, okay. <laughs> Just takes the word for it. Yeah. Um, it's a bit funny because so now we're going into episode three when all this takes place we we know that Hedden's the 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 the, uh, the villain um we're leaping ahead to the cliffhanger but it's fine um that bit when uh when castellan's about to shoot the doctor because you know the, um the, the the attempts of execution obviously failed he's still alive and so now a sentence will be carried out Hedden then just goes no and then staggers in front because uh, he doesn't want the doctor killed completely contradicting everything that's gone on previously in the story what's that about well i think it's because the doctor is still a conduit for omega right okay is is that do you think that could be the point because the omega has used the doctor's um biosignature yeah 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 
and he's he's using him as a conduit to come from the antimatter universe to this universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he's still needed. Uh, that that was my assumption. That does make sense. You, that is probably yeah. That that is <laughs> that is probably it, Rob. Right? Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Right. Okay. I think you've answered my question, Rob. Right. Okay. I feel a bit stupid. <laughs> right. But um, previously in uh, earlier on in the the episode, um, the doctors uh, met in quotation marks, but able to have a proper conversation with this renegade. We know is Omega now. At the, at the end of the episode, we know is Omega, but at this point yeah. we don't. Um, and he's in the Matrix, uh, having this conversation, which I think actually, uh, I think they give it a, a good look. Uh, I think the special effects for the time are quite good. Tegan does look a bit funny. It looks so funny. It's like uh, the Doctor and Tegan are having a bit of a wobbly dance, <laughs> like thrusting and wobbling yeah. their knees. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's great. If, it's if like some weird the- 80s disco. <laughs> it is. I mean, if you listen to the commentary on the DVD, which I recommend that you do because it's it, it's great. They do. Everyone's like laughing at Peter Davison because she just goes, "Wait till you see Janet," and then Janet comes on and says, she looks like she's just sort of like there, <laughs> sitting on sitting, sitting drunkenly on a stool. It does look like that. But when I it's know. but other than that, uh, I, mean, I think it actually it actually yeah. looks quite reasonable. But what's interesting is this is the stuff that's used in the. I think it's name of the Doctor, isn't it? Uh, uh, it, it is yeah, yeah. Um, and when, Clara is kind of on a glass floor looking down is that right banging uh, something like that yeah yeah so so whatever's going on in in, in this part of Ark of Infinity Clara's involved yeah she's 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 on a glass floor in the matrix above him <laughs> yeah so so there's <laughs> so there's that um leaping so anyway we they should have to... made her all wobbly that would have been great <laughs> <laughs> yeah just replace her with uh with tegan and sort of like have clara look like she's just sort of like drunkenly <laughs> swaying on a bar stool or something yeah yeah oh they missed a trick there yeah. um but leaping again back to, uh to the to the cliffhanger so we know that hedon was the traitor that this villain is omega there's this whole thing about Omega controlling the Matrix, and the the whole cliffhanger is the Doctor going, "It's too late, Omega controls the Matrix," and I'm like, "So what?" That sounds bad. We oh wait, know so th- what? Yeah, well, so like, right. Other than the fa- right, apart from the fact, Rob, that obviously we know that this is bad news and we're supposed to care about it because the doc because of the Doctor's reaction, but narratively. Why is it bad news? Well, when I, I, I think the Time Lords have lost control a bit because they they do struggle to get they manage to get the Doctor free, but that's probably the limit of what they can do. Um, I kind of see it as um, like they've got the Matrix and that that was corrupted by Omega, and hmm. it's it's almost like. Maybe like AI taking technology out of our control, perhaps, and leaving us powerless. Is, I get that, you. A, is that a good analogy? Like the, they've lost control of the Matrix, and the Matrix, mm-hmm. um, which I guess we've come to learn over the years, is a bit like a computer core. Yeah. Maybe that. Ru- maybe 
they use that to run everything to process things and without the matrix maybe they've lost control i agree with you rob uh that that's what i think and i think you've explained that really well totally agree with you do you think though that that is explained properly in the story no i think um thanks to other stories we have a working knowledge of what the matrix is mm-hmm. uh but no in the context of this confined story maybe not yeah i, I don't think it is you're right in the sense that we know that the Doctor is unable to leave Gallifrey without this use of a pulse loop, but that's in episode four, which is after this. This whole thing about uh, Omega controls the Matrix, obviously it's bad news. Your explanation of it, totally agree with you. I do think that is the explanation for it, but I don't think it's made very clear in the story. So mm. we've got this cl- cliffhanger going, Omega controls the Matrix, dun, dun, dun. And be like, right, and? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> Means nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it just no. No one's even seen the Matrix back then. Uh, yeah, just gone. Who gets <laughs> <laughs> so? Anyway, just, just my thing. As I said, Rob, uh, your explanation of it makes complete sense. That's also my line of thinking. But I just, I don't think it's explained wholly clear uh, in the story. I just think that could have been handled better. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But now, uh, episode four. Uh, the Doctor finally leaves Gallifrey and this is where Amsterdam fully comes into its own. i got to say, I know that a lot of people criticise uh, the, the use of Amsterdam and it just basically, it's like running up down streets in Amsterdam doesn't really add anything. Well, if you're going to go there, why not? Yeah, i got to say, I do actually like this episode. I do think it has a good build-up and a sense of urgency. I do like the, the thing of the, the Doctor trying to find out where Tegan is has no means of doing that so they've got to do it by foot and the build up of the urgency and finding out where Tegan is I think and then the Doctor actually meeting uh, Omega uh, during his conversion process I like all that I I think it's handled very well I do think there's a sense of urgency in the drama do you agree or? Oh yeah I think um, it it, the episode goes at 100 mile an hour like the pace of it Um, it, but yeah it concludes everything um, at a good pace, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we seem to have Omega convert and seeing him as the Doctor, I think is a good payoff to how the story started. So we have uh, Omega now looking like the Doctor. So it seems like yeah, he... we we ha- we had a good scene in his. Well, I'm I'm, I'm calling it his TARDIS, as he put it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he'd have a TARDIS, but he's kind of bubbling. He's kind of squishing his mask and he's bubbling and oozing. Um. Yeah, it's not quite clear what form he's in physically mm-hmm. and and what part of his physical form is like an outfit or just him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit unclear, but uh yeah, um but it's 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 visually interesting, I think is probably the, the best way of saying that. And uh yeah. Um but it's it's a good payoff, and uh, I think then maybe the whole returning of having more running around in Amsterdam is is a little bit too much towards the second end of the episode. But I think it's reasonably fine. But the the first half of the episode, I think, is when it's really strong. But you do have these nice moments. Um, 
we have i do think it's it's quite nice but the way the idea of it but maybe the execution of it doesn't quite work where we have omega and he's he's now mingling with people and he's he's walking and he seems you know in, enjoying himself and he's the fact that he's able to enjoy simple pleasures of listening to music which is tulips in amsterdam again yeah but there's that moment when uh, he's listening to this uh the street organ and there's a, there's a group round and there's a, there's a kid that uh, runs past him and stands uh, and then there's this thing where the kid looks up at uh, Omega and Omega sort of like learns how to smile for the first time it seems um, I know what they're trying to do explain I, I, to me please because right. I've probably got lots of interpretations but right. yeah, what's happening I, th- I think what they're trying to do Rob is um, have it where Omega who is this monster and villain and all what he's wanting to do is join the real world and experience it what what it is to to live and enjoy simple pleasures and he's listening to the music there's a there's a there's a there's a kid there innocent and it's sort of i think this clearly harkens to the 1931 frankenstein film where there's that scene where uh the the, the one person who cuz because uh, of childhood innocence is the one person who doesn't judge the monster. Uh, it's that scene where she's just standing, uh, she's next to a, a lake and throwing um, throwing f- flowers into the lake. And it's just that simple pleasure. And then the monster is able to actually interact with another human mm-hmm. because of that, not because of not being ju- not being judged. I yeah. think that's what I think that's the idea of what they're trying to do in that scene. And I like the idea. It, that's I just, very interesting. Yeah. I just don't think the way that it is done uh, is uh, is successful because I think it's unintentionally creepy. Yeah. It's an interesting way to take his character because mm. going off what we know of Omega from the Three Doctors, yeah, uh, his persona and kind of what he's like and who he's been, what he's done, what he's known for. Um. Uh, yeah, is this? It's not. A, it's not a situation I imagined finding him in. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent an eternity without a physical form. And now he's got one, but you know, time's fleeting. His life's finite. Um, what's he gonna do with the, with the last of his of his time? Mm-hmm. And I guess he runs and he takes takes a moment to kind of um listen to the music and smile at the kids i don't know <laughs> uh, maybe he was reminiscing about his shabogan childhood when he would hang out with little rassalon and tech <laughs> right okay who knows uh but yeah could he be uh, reminiscent of his own childhood i think yeah maybe maybe there's a, maybe. There's a, there's a, i think maybe yeah maybe there's a little bit of that as i said i think i think the idea is clearly there it's just uh just yeah, uh, it could have been handled a, 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 a bit more deftly, shall we say. But um, but anyway, there's that. And then uh, Omega realises that the conversion isn't being successful and he's reverting back to antimatter. And hence this chase of the Doctor. People Tegan are screaming at him. <laughs> yeah, scream, screaming at him. Because as we know, anyone familiar with the story and... Um, the people involved in making it always mention it. But basically, Peter Davison is running around Amsterdam covered in green rice krispies. But 
uh, despite the fact that we know it's Green Rice Krispies, I think the makeup's really effective. Yeah. I've used Rice Krispies for Halloween before. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it's great. Nice cereal and great for <laughs> making you look horrific as well. Um, it's, it, I think it, you know, it's it's really good. And having Omega looking like he, you know, he's degenerating. And the fact that he knows uh, he won't be able to succeed then starts willing his own destruction, uh, which will then mean matter and antimatter colliding and the whole universe will be destroyed. And then so the doctor shoots uh, Omega uh, and then uh, and then he's dead um so that's the threat dealt with <laughs> yeah uh, and it, it, it's kind of um where the doctor knew it was going to go because mm. before they left the crypt the doctor was getting the gun um that he ultimately shoots omega with yeah um so yeah it's, it's a big end and not just for omega but for the doctor as well mm-hmm mm. Uh, and I think it's I think it's re- handled reasonably well. And then uh, we have we cut back to a scene in on Gallifrey uh, with the uh, with the president expressing sympathy towards towards Omega, um, because I think it wasn't this case of a character wanting to you know control the entire universe. It was just someone who was wanting to rejoin the universe and yeah. you know live a live a. Uh, a fully enriched life you can kind of you know you get where he's coming from it's a very sympathetic thing but the way that the way that he has to do it is is uh questionable because it would uh initially the way that they were doing it would have meant uh the doctor being killed essentially oh yeah but, the, but they they sort of work around that a bit and but it was never going to succeed so mm. uh and then we have a nice scene at the end um uh which uh, it's, it's quite funny because Tegan rejoins the TARDIS and we have just this shot of, of the Doctor <laughs> looking really cheesed off uh, that Tegan's back. He <laughs> doesn't yeah, know what? how to react. He smiles and then the smile just drops. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is what great. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I don't know. Where did, where was that coming from? Does that, is, does that reflect... <laughs> the um peter davison's own views or how much was that scripted does that reflect the viewers views i don't know because i remember for years i was never sure how to take that scene i was always wondering if uh they just uh they, they didn't cut the scene early enough and it was peter <laughs> davison smiling and then just go right i'm sick of just, just cut now i just i've i've had a long day <laughs> So I thought it was it intentional, isn't it? I don't know. I think it clearly was intentional. I oh think yeah, it's just uh, the doctor just being <laughs> trepidatious that this argumentative Australians rejoining the TARDIS. But mm. but uh, it's good. It, I, it is quite funny. Um, right before we start wrapping things up, Rob, is there anything that uh, you'd like to mention that maybe we haven't? Um, no, I think we covered it all. Okay, good, good. So uh, we shall now go to listeners' responses. Um, so we've had a, a number of uh, listeners oh, have vote we? on vote. the uh, vote on the story. Uh, uh, this is always on our uh, website, as I said before, cloisterbellpodcast.com. It's very easy to navigate around. You can see this. So uh, we've also had some comments, but we'll get onto those in a moment. But in terms of uh, the rating, so no one has voted it bad. Okay. Uh, but I'm rounding up slightly, but 43% of the votes say that it is average. 
and 57% of the votes that it is good. Okay. Which is interesting. Uh, I wasn't actually expecting that as a result. I thought more people would have rated it average. Um, So that's quite a pleasant surprise. In terms of comments... So James uh, James Swift has said, I really like the bit when Peter Davison chases Peter Davison for 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, yeah, pretty sums up most of episode four. But as I say, I, you know, I quite like it. Yeah, I like the bit where Omega just stole the gardener's clothes. So the, when the doctor and Nissa run outside, they find a half-naked gardener. And he's like, well, at least we know what he'll be wearing. How do you know? There's just a naked man there. Rob, don't you know, gardeners all wear the same thing, regardless of where you're from. uh, And blue overalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone knows that, Rob. Uh, Yeah, with Omega's clothes just dumped there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, someone called A Loner. Oh, right, okay. That that may be Mm. a pun. Uh... Maybe not. Maybe they are a loner. I don't know. But a loner has said, would you rather relive 24 hours from any day in the past or glimpse 30 seconds of any day in the future? All right. It sounds um, a bit like my wife's name, hmm. but hmm, um, it can't be. But what, what was the question she put to us? <laughs> uh, would you? Where's this question coming from, Rob? I don't know. Would you rather relive 24 hours from any day in the past or glimpse 30 seconds of any day in the future? Okay, if I was to live 24 hours of any day in the past... Hmm. Or glimpse 30 seconds. I don't know. Both sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Well, it depends. The way that I would answer it is right. If I've got agency on picking on what the 24 hours are, then I th- I would rather do that. Yeah, if it's like a gamble, you know what it would be like? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd rather, you know, if I can like, like relive a happy memory or something like that, then yeah, I think that'd be quite nice to do. I'd, I'd rather do that. But if it's, um, I don't know, something awful like... Um, Being hit by a car or something. <laughs> no, yes... The, you know, uh, all that. have you been hit by a car, Rob? No. Right, okay. Neither have I. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming this is, again, because this could be relive 24 hours from any day. What? Is this in our own lives or someone else's? Oh. If it's someone else's, then I think that's too much of a gamble and I wouldn't be interested. Uh, but if it were my own, I'd say, yeah, I'd... I'd this person, whoever's posed, posed these quest, this question, Rob, hasn't provided the caveats. <laughs> Raises more questions. I, just, I don't know how this works. But for argument's sake, if it's to relive 24 hours in my own life, I'd rather do that than, what, glimpse yeah. 30 seconds of any day in the future? Pff, who cares? Yeah, I'd probably go back to the Triassic period. Right. Yeah, 24 hours there. Yeah. All right, okay. Oh, actually, because that reminds me... Um, we, uh, earlier on, we uh, I went onto the Doctor Who TV website. Oh yeah, and there was a quiz, and I shared it with you, Rob, of going, um, uh, uh, which, which Doctor are you? And it was like a personality question thing. And one of the questions was, um, 
what would you you know would you rather travel to and it gave you some links and that there were obviously links to previous doctor who stories foreign travel like would you travel to rome in 64 a.d which is the romans or the answer i gave which was seville in 1985 which is obviously linked to the two doctors do you remember what you answered for that Rob? yeah well i saw seville and i thought of you i thought you would put that mm. but um i'd put san francisco 99 ah okay good choice you know because uh so yeah uh this is, i got a very interesting uh reaction uh to that quiz which a uh, result not reaction which was apparently i'm the 10th doctor Yes, you are. Brimming with swagger, the 10th Doctor used his cheek and charm to win people's trust. He had very jovial outlook and would often tell jokes to cover his plans. He also loved little shops. According to the 10th Doctor, everywhere needed a little shop. It's little wonder that Donna Noble became the 10th Doctor's best friend when this pair of motor mouths arrived. Anyone else was looking to get a word in. Despite this charming front, this incarnation had a lot of rage hidden under the surface. Still haunted by the Time War, his ego eventually got the better of him as he became to alter time, becoming the Time Lord victorious. So, that's me, apparently. Um, you were my predecessor, though, Rob. You were uh, you were the Ninth Doctor. Me and my wife. <laughs> uh, I was we're, the Ninth Doctor as well. Yeah, we're both a bunch of Ecclestons. <laughs> oh, how sweet! What were you, have you got, have you got the full read up there? Because because no. with the tenth Doctor, it goes it, it opens up with like bringing with swagger, cheek, charm, and then the ninth Doctor. It, what was it? Um, I sent you just, a screenshot, but I, yeah. I haven't. I don't remember what the rest was. Unfortunately for the ninth Doctor, he didn't remember that he hadn't actually destroyed Gallifrey, believing himself to be the sole survivor of the Time War. This version of the Doctor was haunted by his past. Adopting a more you know casual what? wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sums me up. Um I, I, I generally forget things that have happened to me. And um yeah, I do have a casual wardrobe and uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm haunted by my past as well. Oh well there you go. Right, okay. Well yeah, maybe maybe this question maybe this quiz was actually a bit more a bit more on the button than we realised. Um right. Yeah, oh yes, so in terms of our summing up of the story, Rob. Uh, over to you. Um, okay. Uh, I've I've already expressed like <laughs> any concerns I had about bringing Omega back. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it wasn't the best decision because mm-hmm. Three Doctors, are, you know, I love it so much. It's a well-rounded, well, self-contained story mm-hmm. with this great character. <sighs> But all this story does back, it brings back the name. And I don't know, I, I really wish they hadn't, but I'm, I, you know, in retrospect, I'm, I'm fine that they did. Hmm. Um, it happened a long time ago. Um, <laughs> the rest of the story is, is great. We get a lot of Time Lords, but the, they're all so different. And then we get all the location stuff um, with these two hitchhikers. Um, and we get to see Nyssa um, as a solo companion with the Doctor, which was nice. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so much about the story is good, yeah. Oh, so, uh, are you, so do you uh, rate it good? I rate it good, yeah. All oh, right, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to say average. Oh, that's no, good. no. 
Um, yeah, uh, I think you and I are most agreement with the points that uh, that we've raised. The, the really good things about the story that I really like. It's not perfect, as we've said. That there are certain things where we go, hang on, that doesn't make sense, or that could have been done better. But despite all that, and I know that it's not um, a massive fan favorite and uh, and what have you, but I really like the story. I know you mm. know it has faults, but it also has some really good stuff in it. I just adore this story. It's one of those where I can c- quite happily watch it whenever. I just like it. I can't help it. Oh, I'd watch I, it again. And easy. Yeah. So I rate it good. Yeah. If just, anyone's not uh, happy with the poll results, the polls will remain open. So yep. you can go to the website and, and, and add, your, add your views on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Okay. So yeah, I, I just love the story. I can't help it. I, I, it's good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, uh, and I also love Roger Lim's score. Um, I think his most celebrated score is uh, what he did for the Caves of Androzani, which I think is him at his best. Uh, but I do like the music he, he does here. Um, so, Rob, um, what's happening for our next podcast? Well, as you know, we have the um, the anniversary is in, in a couple of days mm-hmm. of the show. And a few days after that, we have Doctor Who and the Star Beast. Um, well, all I'd say is watch this space. Keep your browsers locked to the website. Check mm-hmm. us out on social. We'll be back very soon. Um, I'm not too sure what to say about what we will be, what we'll be discussing in the next episode. But yeah, just just watch this space. Yes. Uh, so we've got a, a few things planned. And it's going to be a nice surprise, uh, hopefully. So hopefully. stick around. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. As I said, uh, if you have, uh, spread the word uh, to to others who you think will uh, enjoy it as well. Um, oh, and um, please do visit the forum, Lima. I can see you've got a reply from Grant in the oh, forum fr- this evening. Fantastic. I shall check that out and uh, ignore him for five days and respond. No, no, I'll, I'll respond as soon as I can. Uh, so great. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Yes, uh, so check out the website, as I said before, cloisteraboutpodcast.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at podcast... No, hang on. What's our Twitter? Oh, hang on. My mind's gone blank. What's our Twitter, Rob? Uh, at Podcast Bell. That's the one. And I know we've alluded to a lot of mystery, but if you'd like to listen to next week's episode, you can do that right now on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. So, uh, hopefully... Uh, Hang on. Yeah. Uh, Great. Yeah. uh, Thanks for that, Rob. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And uh, yeah, see what we've got planned for next week. Bye, everyone. See you, man.